Matthew 27. We'll read that first account, and then we'll get started. We'll pray and get into our lesson. Matthew 27, look if you will please at verse number 31. And after that they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull. Okay, we're going to go now to Luke's account. If you'll just remember to look at Luke here, you, can, you don't have to hold your place in Matthew today. Uh, I might refer back to these, but you've read them once and you can uh, remember there's a few details in each one of the Gospels that are unique to each one. Verse 26, Luke 23, if you'll go down to verse number 26. And as they led him away, they laid hold upon one Simon, a Cyrenian, coming out of the, that of the country, and on him they laid the cross, that he might bear it after Jesus. And there followed him a great company of people and women, which also bewailed and lamented. And Jesus, turning unto them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children." For behold, the days are coming in the which they shall say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bear, and the paps which never gave suck. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? And there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Okay, let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I'm praying today for the uh, Lord, the power that you, you have promised to those who are to preach your word. And Lord, I pray that you'd make this uh, Sunday school lesson, though it's just considered a teaching time, but it might be heartfelt and that our lives might be impacted because of its truths. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So to explain a couple things, if you look at your outline, the first thing you see is the crucifixion of Jesus. And um, it, as we come to this time of year, I generally give a couple lessons uh, before and after Easter that center our focus upon some aspect of the Lord's uh, death, burial, and resurrection. Last year we covered uh, several lessons on the trials, the trials. We went through the fact that first, after Gethsemane, he was taken to Caiaphas, then to Pilate, then to Herod, then back to Pilate before he's condemned. All right, and we went through several lessons in that focus. And these all run in a series that I have called under the title, The Crucifixion of Jesus. So that over the last, I don't know, four years that we've been on this topic of the life of Christ, we've been taking these breaks during this time uh, of whatever we are covering. It just so happened that that last lesson on prayer was kind of the last of that direction. And so uh, we usually take a break, and this would be then Lesson 7, I know you're not standing there with um, 
you know, the, all the last lessons in mind. If anybody's interested, I could get those to you. But um, these, this is lesson seven, uh, not, not dealing with the area we just left, but dealing with the life of the, sorry, the crucifixion of Christ. Now you see lesson seven, what it says is the road to Calvary. Uh, the road to Calvary. So Jesus has already been tried. The trials are all finished. They're basically before the Sanhedrin, Caiaphas. There are three Jewish trials, three Roman trials before he is then scourged. Okay? He's, he's already tortured. His body is near the end before he makes this trip uh, down you know, this road from Pilate's judgment hall to the place outside of the town, just outside the city gates, where they crucify the Lord Jesus Christ. Now with the trials completed, Christ is conducted to the place called Golgotha. And uh, there's a procession that we'll talk about this in just a moment. But they're trying to bring a group of people to attend. That was kind of their way of doing things. And they'd have this official procession from the judgment hall up to the place where they would do their executions. And uh, this pathway to the cross has been called in the Latin language uh, Via Dolorosa. Via Dolorosa. That means the way uh, of suffering. The way of suffering. Uh, some have called it the Via Crucia, the way of the cross. Uh, both Latin phrases for those things, I'm sure, of a Catholic origin. Okay, Those are just in theology. Sometimes you'll hear that spoken about. Scripture does not give many details about this journey. When you go to Israel and you take a tour of Jerusalem, which I've done a couple of times, uh, they take you down these supposed stations along the road to Calvary. You come to the place where he speaks to these women, and uh, they have some kind of official signification. I think it was a plaque or something uh, that is put right there. Randy, do you remember that kind of thing going in Jerusalem in particular? Yeah, the very same streets that he walked on. It is amazing. So Randy's been there way back. Been a few years. And I'm starting to think I should go back because after so many years, I start to you know, forget uh, the details of, of what, uh, what we see. But I, I enjoyed it. If anybody asks my opinion about taking a trip to the Holy Lands, I think it is a lifetime worthwhile investment. All right? Because... I'll, I'll join the voices of many people that preach that you'll never preach or you'll never read the Bible the same in the Gospels anywhere. anywhere. You know, the geography becomes alive. Instead of looking at it in two dimensions like on a map in a book, you start to look at it like we do. Oh, no, it was that way. It's three-dimensional, and you start to put the picture together. It really helps in many places. But this is a common, and I think that I think you understand that a lot of those places are actually embellished, okay? And when you go there, you have to kind of, you know, decipher between what is known for real 
because there are things that are definite, definitely, definitely known. The actual location of the cross, the crucifixion, is not one of those things. There's a big argument between the Protestants and Catholics on where the crucifixion was. The Catholics built a big basilica, big church on the spot that they believe was the crucifixion. And people come there to the only piece of it that's left of the actual, what they claim to be the origin. And it's a big, long, flat rock. And they throw themselves on it and they cry and wail, okay? And then um, there's uh, another place that's just a little bit further away from the old city walls. And they call it uh, Gordon's Tomb. And uh, pretty typical, if you've seen a picture of a, what was considered Golgotha, the hill that looks like a skull, uh, you've probably looked at that. And uh, it, there are reasons, both that it's such a debate that you ask me which one is the right one, and I'm going to abstain from giving my opinion, because it doesn't really matter. The most important thing about where that tomb is, is that it's empty. Amen. And, and uh, so no matter where the crucifixion was, the, to, the reason I say that is because the tomb was close and very nigh to that place. Either way, we know that it was just outside the city walls, still considered Jerusalem, but just outside, where, and then in a conspicuous place where it, uh, it was well seen. That was the whole point of a public execution. For those that deserved it, it was a deterrent for committing the same crimes. So as we look at this, this will be a uh, a few weeks that we'll go into this, and I might even, I enjoy the topic so much that I might continue it uh, for a little bit. I enjoy it. We'll see what the Lord does. But you look at your outline, and it starts with the commencing of the cavalcade or the journey. And uh, <clears throat> in uh, the book of Luke, we read uh, here that Pilate gave sentence that it should be uh, as they required. Uh, back, that's uh, back in verse 24. Verse 24, we didn't read that. So Pilate has said, go ahead guys, do what you want to do. He's already washed his hands publicly, saying I'm innocent of the blood of this man. His wife has already said, uh, gotten a word to him that, you know, don't, worry, don't get involved with this because I've had bad dreams about this man and uh, called him the righteous man. And um, he has come out and said several times, I find no fault in him at all. But he comes down to the end and he pleases the people more than he does what's right. All right, He is just there to keep his office. And there's a great threat to his leadership and his position if there were riots in Jerusalem. And he's witnessing what is about to become a riot uh, and the Antifa in this situation is the Sanhedrin. They're the ones that are putting piles of bricks in the inner city there for people to use to throw. All right, uh, They're inciting a mob, uh, and Pilate knows it. And he knows this. If he, if, he gives in, if he gives in to the people and pleases them, he might survive. By the way, he doesn't survive very long after this. He ends up uh, dying in exile. He doesn't stay in the favor of the uh, Roman Empire, Emperor. But uh, he is weighing his options and he says, 
go ahead, go kill him. I know he's innocent, but that didn't mean as much to him as keeping his position. Isn't that interesting? That the world doesn't really care about truth. It cares about finances. We always say when you're watching some kind of controversy and you're wondering what, what is the right thing to do, go follow the money. You wonder, what's right? Should we be in Ukraine? Should we support Ukraine or Russia? Follow the money. Why are we supporting? Because I believe that the president of Ukraine is blackmailing our president who's got his hands in the till in the Ukraine. Follow the money. It's, it's probably always going to be evident if you have the opportunity. And the, the answer to that whole controversy is we shouldn't be in, on either side. They're both tyranny, uh, killing Christians. They're both in that same kind of venue. But that's politics in a lot of ways, especially when there's no true uh, republic. Okay, so Christ was then turned over to the soldiers for execution, and the, the Jews were not allowed to do executions. So they could come along. It wasn't that they just needed their permission, because uh, I think they would have chosen their normal mode of execution, which was strangling, like hanging by a noose or decapitation. But this new thing, this thing called crucifying, was more hideous than all of those things and prolonged the agony of the victim, uh, of, the, of, the, uh, uh, of the criminal, supposed criminal, and it was designed to uh, be more of a torture to death than it was to just get it over with. And uh, so they are following along, but they are not allowed to do the execute, executing. Uh, but this didn't mean they were off the hook. They're, the reason Jesus is there is because of their insistence and they're wrong. Look first, the first thing we look at is what was mentioned about the clothing. The clothing, okay? You, uh, you can put clothes, I think, is what will fit, not clothing, in your uh, outline there. And I'll read to you Mark's account. And uh, Mark chapter 15, verse 20. Okay, you don't have to turn there, but I'll read it to you. They took off the purple from him, and put his own clothes on him. <coughs> Excuse me. You know, um, Jesus has already been scourged. And I've, I've talked about that many, many times. And some of the details I don't have in front of me. But the scourging was made as they would take that cat of nine tails. And on the end of that, that uh, whip with, uh, the leather whip with nine different, strands out the end of it they would sew pieces of glass and metal and uh and the roman soldiers were trained that uh when they would throw that thing they were digging into the skin okay and uh when they would pull back out they were ripping and when when somebody was scourged like this literally they were they were dragging behind them down down their back uh, ribbons of their own flesh. All right. Now they've done this, and afterwards they 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 put on a, a, a robe that looked like a king, purple for a king, and uh, they gave them that reed as a 
And what were they, they were doing? They were mocking the Lord. And, uh, and so then they come to the place where they switch it back. <clears throat> What's going to happen? Well, if you think about what happened to the back of uh, all of his back being kind of filleted open, bleeding and per- no doubt profusely, and then, and then that purple robe is matted into his back and the blood starts to coagulate and it becomes kind of like part of the wound. But then to rip that off, what is it going to do? It's going to open those wound, that wound right back up and, and uh, Jesus is then right back to that same, same state. Now, this is, they put on then his own robes back on him, which then begin to coagulate again with that open wound. <clears throat> and uh, I hope it is something that you can't read through without pausing to think about the fact that he was there for me and for you, for my sins. Why was Jesus there? Why did he bear this? It was because of our sins. I think we should never lose track of that. They took, when he had that purple robe on him, that's when they plated that crown of thorns into his head. And with those long thorns, they went deep into his skull and he began to bleed. Then uh, that's when they also uh, hit him with it. They took that reed and they beat him in the face. They uh, ripped his beard out of his face. I don't know how that would work. There's a lot of soft skin tissue here. If you rip that out, you might cause quite a bit of damage. But it's why the book of Isaiah in chapter 52 says that his visage was marred more than any other man. And uh, they put a blindfold on him and they came up with their fists and hit him in the face and said, prophesy, tell me, who is it that hit you? And you think about it, he knew. He knew that person. He had been caring for that person. If he were to stop and say, I can tell you who you are, what would come out of the words of Jesus? I have loved you from the time you were born. And I'm enduring this not because I have to, but because I love you. You look at that man that's hitting Jesus in the face and then look down at your hands and see that they're blood stained, that it's you and it's me. You think, well, it's okay if I fool around in sin. To sin knowingly, my dad always said, was to kiss the, the, the spear that pierced the side of Jesus, to have a personal influence He died to pay for your sin, your sin specifically. Not theoretically, but actually. And that means that the reason he went through this was because of you and me. For the sins of the whole world. So they tear that robe off and they put back his own blood-stained robe. Later they're going to take it back off opening the wound again. 
But you know what they were doing? They were trying to humiliate the Lord. You know, they were part of, part of the shame. We're all, most all of us adults here. Part of the shame of the cross is that Jesus, was, when He hung on the cross, hung there naked. You know, there wasn't anything sacred anymore. There was nothing polite, nothing, nothing in this manner of killing somebody that spoke of dignity. It was all about how bad it could be and how hard it could be treated. But what were they really doing? Well, they were fulfilling prophecy. You see, those Roman soldiers, <clears throat> they forgot about Psalm 22, verse 18, that I'm sure they've never read. The Hebrew Scriptures would have said, they parted my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. A little while later, when they're ready to hang him on the cross, they, they would normally, those soldiers would in a vicious way, rip and tear at whatever they could take for themselves. And yet, when they saw that outer garment, that coat that Christ wore that had no seam, it was just woven as a whole unit, they said, let's not tear it, let's gamble for it. And Roman soldiers became unwittingly the fulfillment of the Bible prophecy. You see, not, he didn't miss one of those prophecies. Not one. Everything that was prophesied about the first coming of the Messiah was complete in Jesus. It was all finished. And everything that's not fulfilled is still a future time. The fact is, the Lord is speaking. When He turns and speaks, you'll find out. He's speaking about the finish of it all. When they will say, the rocks fall on us. He goes all the way to the end. Now, they parted my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. What profit, what, what, what good would it do to the Roman soldiers to fulfill Scripture? In other words, if Jesus were fraudulent, He wasn't really the Messiah, as the Jews claim to this day. If, if, it, if He were <clears throat> fraudulent then you would probably find his disciples running around trying to fulfill all of these prophecies. But you don't find that. You find the disciples at this point, they're gone. John and Peter are following from afar off. Mary and the other Mary are by the cross in just a little bit of time. But all the rest of them are all gone. And, uh, you know, the Roman soldiers, they don't care about Jesus. They don't care about God. They... If they worship, they're worshiping their panoply of gods that derive mostly from uh, these stories of the Greek gods and so forth. And they have, no, they have no vested interest in obeying the Bible. But yet, David is writing the psalm in Psalm 22, and the language of psalm, it doesn't say they crucified Jesus, but the description of it, we call it the the, the, the psalm of the cross, because the description is only fulfilled in a crucifixion. And David is writing that, I think he, I think the, he was like 1100 B.C. when he was the king of Israel. And so here it's, it's written, it's written by the finger of God, and yet you get down to the wire and you're looking around at the crucifixion and you're saying, wait a minute, he's got a purple robe on, how is it that he's going to now have his own clothes on and then they're going to 
cast lots for his vesture, I think it's not going to make it. You know, somebody was wise enough to know those prophecies. But yet, in perfect order, effortlessly, the Lord had the Roman soldiers who don't care about God a bit to fulfill the prophecy. I think it's amazing. And all the hostilities against God's beloved Son, you know, uh, evil could not overcome the Word of God. But the evil people fulfilled the prophecies of the Bible. Now, it reminds us of Psalm 76, verse 10, where it says, Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee, and the remainder of wrath shalt thou restrain. In other words, God is in perfect control. Perfect. Now, I wish we were in perfect control. <laughs> you know, I wish we could say that about ourselves, that, you know, we are in control of our, our... Have you ever said anything you're not supposed to say? Maybe an unkind word? How many of you have ever said anything you thought you were trying to be funny, but then when you look at it and you see the reaction, they didn't think it was funny? <laughs> You've never had that happen to you? Yeah, I have, and so many times it's happened to me that I really quit trying to be funny. I mean, I'm scared, scared of hurting somebody's feelings <clears throat> in, in a way. But I'm saying that uh, I wish we had control, but God has perfect control. He, he even knows how to orchestrate people that hate God so that they fulfill His will. And the crucifixion was not God losing His control over the situation. You know that, you, you remember that old... Uh, religious organization that started in Korea under Sung Myung Moon. They called them Moonies when they came back. They have an official name, but I don't remember. But his whole premise was that he was the next incarnation of the world spirit and that Jesus had failed in his mission when he died. That, that was the beginning. Of course, there were a lot of other things in there that were really wicked. And, uh, but he was the next Messiah, and his son then became a manifestation of a Messiah as well. Anyway, um, that it is, it is not a failure of the Lord that the crucifixion happened. Everything happened perfectly in His timing. The, the crucifixion went off in accordance with divine will. Let's talk secondly about the custom. C-U-S-T-O-M, the custom. In this text, in chapter 23 of Luke, look at verse 26. And as they led him away, they laid hold upon one Simon, a Cyrenian, coming out of the country. And on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. As I mentioned, there was a procedure in this event. Ordinarily, <clears throat> the procession was led by a centurion, a soldier, a Roman soldier, in charge of a hundred Roman soldiers, right? That's why he's called a centurion. And uh, he is going ahead of the procession. They're walking through town. And he is reading the, <clears throat> the charges against the, the um, criminal. And he's reading it aloud. I mean, the whole purpose is to deter others uh, from getting out of line with Rome. That's the whole purpose. And so they're going ahead, and then uh, let's see here. <clears throat> Behind him walked the prisoner, and uh, bearing the instrument of his punishment, the cross. 
And then a small company of soldiers completed the group of people that followed behind. Uh, in this particular instance, there was the joining of those that were from the Sanhedrin. And we find out in the passage we read in verse number 27, And there followed him a great company of people and of women, which bewailed him and lamented him. And uh, in verse 32, And there were also two other malefactors led with him um, to be put to death. So here is this kind of longer procession, and normally this thing would wind through town. Now they would go the longest way, you know, going through town, kind of serotypously going around. And the reason they would do that is because they were trying to gain a crowd around this cavalcade or this group of people to get a crowd to go with them to see the execution. However, they didn't have to do that in this case. Apparently, there were several factors in, involved. One is how badly they had already tortured Jesus. He wasn't going to make it through one of those uh, extensive journeys through town. Uh, <clears throat> that town is kind of like this anyway, if you know what, if you've been there. And uh, another thing is, they were at the time of the Passover where hundreds of thousands... Even one commentator said that as many as a million visitors uh, were in that, that vicinity, that in, in Jerusalem during that week. Remember, he's killed on the Passover day. And uh, so he is led kind of a shorter way to the crucifixion simply because he already had a big crowd with him. They didn't have to stir anybody up. But it's getting bigger and bigger as they get over to that place of execution. Now, I want you to contrast what happens in a week of time. One week before this, or just a few days actually before this, Jesus is coming through the same streets. And this time he's on a donkey. And the people are taking their coats off and they're putting palm leaves or branches down on the ground and laying them in front of the donkey. And they're saying the praises to Christ, Hosanna, praise, praise Him in the highest. What a difference between then and now. The rage of this crowd. Crucify Him. Kill Him. He doesn't deserve to live. But He's done nothing amiss. Let me finish with this, the cross. The cross. In this verse, they laid upon him one Simon, a son of Cyrene. Now, there are three different crosses in history that are supposed as possibilities. There's, um, and I'm sure these all have a Catholic type of origin again, but there is one that looks like a letter X, and they call it St. Andrew's cross. Okay, Then there's one that looks like a T, St. Anthony's cross. And then there's one that is called the Latin cross, which is probably one you realize or recognize that looks like a dagger has part of it standing above them. And the fact that there is a sign posted uh, above Christ on the cross stating this is the King of the Jews means probably that Latin cross is the correct one. So when you see those crosses, it's not like it's that big a deal. 
but to be accurate, that's our hope. A crucifixion was a horrible way to die. Um, also in Galatians it tells us, that cursed is everyone that hangeth upon a tree. So to extenuate it, the Lord put a curse on whoever would be crucified, meaning Jesus became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Uh, why did He need this support? They called this man Simon. <clears throat> Let me see if I can summarize this. Some have said that, um, you know, his soldiers were being pitiful for the Lord, but that's not true. They were not acting out of pity or mercy, but they just knew they had beaten this man so badly, they were just trying to get him to get to the cross. Uh, the man who helped him, he, Simon, was from Cyrene, which was the country of, capital of the country of Libya, located on the northern part of Africa. And there seems to be a connection, as is stated and mentioned uh, by Mark's account, that he had two children, Alexander and Rufus, and there's a desire to connect him to the same Rufus that's mentioned in Romans 16, verse number 13, but there really isn't enough evidence in Scripture to tie those two people together. And Rufus was a very common name at the time in the Roman Empire. So... Then the language of this, there's people that I, all my life I've heard Jesus didn't carry a cross, but you know, or he stumbled, as is the, the way that it's depicted. He was carrying it and stumbled. Probably this man, as it was kind of their custom, I mean, it, you think, okay, he had it on his shoulders and he was dragging the end on the ground. That's kind of like the movies try to make it look like. I'm going to tell you, it was probably more like. Simon carried one end, and he carried the other end because it was too much for him. And it says in this passage that he might bear it after Jesus. So either Jesus is walking without the weight of the cross, and Simon is carrying it in his place behind him, or Jesus is carrying part of it, and Simon comes after him and picks up his part. All right. Either way, it was not done out of pity. It was because there was no pity. There was nothing pitiful. There was no mercy in this particular situation. It was all about aggravating the death until as long as you possibly can. Later, when they come to beg the body of Jesus from Pilate, they said, wow, is he already dead? Because sometimes those who were crucified would take three or four days to die. And when a person's crucified and they have their arms and they're hanging by their limbs, they don't die because they have loss of blood. They die because they drowned on their own fluids. In order to breathe, you have to push up on your hands and your feet. And when you're doing that, and the Bible describes it so very uniquely in Psalm 22, that his, he said his, he became as wax. And the whole compartment around the heart begins to fill with that fluid until what is the problem of living is that he can no longer breathe. It is a torture that I'm glad we don't do today. Whatever the case, the cross was too much for Christ to bear. And 
in order to fulfill Scripture, he, had, he couldn't die on the way the Lord had to make it to Calvary. Now, I want to finish this lesson uh, in the next couple of Sundays. And I want you to encourage people to come because I want to talk about the crowd in the journey. That's the people that were there, what Jesus said to these ladies, what it means, and uh, the actual place of the crucifixion. But as a Christian, if you're here and you're saved, you know Christ is your Savior, you know what ought to be center in your focus of your faith? The cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus paid the atonement for sin upon a cross. And on your heart every day should be the fact that Jesus died for me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you bless the morning's message. I pray, God, that you'd stir hearts as we study your word. Please bless this uh, Sunday school hour. I pray that we'd stay focused right in the very direction you want us to have. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.